the Psalms are real life. They cut through shallow happiness, fluffy parties, and worldly entertainment, and they dive deep into the pain, the suffering, the tragedies of life. They take us places to where our faith is tested, tried, and matured. We can identify with the various songs of others crying out to the living God when it seems like life is overwhelming. We are encouraged with the psalms that lift up praises to God, even in the midst of the most severe circumstances. We find hope in the psalms that remind us that the great God surpasses all knowledge is who we are crying out to. We see ourselves in the heart issues, the psalmist faces as he deals with fear, worry, hopelessness, anger, pride, confusion, bitterness, unforgiveness, and yes, depression. Depression affects how we think. Depression affects how we feel. Depression can even affect us physically. It affects us wholly. It's a whole person issue, struggle, problem. It's been reported that 30% of women deal with depression while 15% of men. It's estimated that an astounding 80% of people who struggle with depression aren't receiving help. Depression can be called silent suffering because it's an internal battle that can be isolating, debilitating, and it can rob us of our joy. I wonder how many of us this morning are battling with depression. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you have been let go of a job that you've had for 20 years. Or maybe you have something in your past that was real painful that you've not been able to get over and move on. And it's continuing to haunt you. And now you're hopeless and numb. Well, let me say this. Let me assure you that God is there. God is in the midst of our pain. He knows our suffering. We can find hope. We can find peace. We can find rest in Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we'll be soaking, we'll be looking at Psalm 6. You can open your Bibles to Psalm 6 in which David expresses deep sorrow and brokenness to the Lord. We might call the sadness that we read in Psalm 6 a form of depression. So as we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you that we can come and worship you. What a blessing it is that we can lift our voices to you in song. What an amazing body of believers you've brought here, Father. By your sovereign will, as you're in control of all things, Father, we know that fully. We recognize that we still struggle with sin on a daily basis in our lives. We thank you for your grace that continues to cover over our sinfulness, Father, and that Christ paid such a price for us. We ask that you help us to be a church who wholly seeks you in holiness. It's not following after the world, but following after you like we're called to be believers. It's through your son we pray. Amen. Well, let's read Psalm 6 this morning. And it says this. 
Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. We really don't know the circumstances that David is is surrounded with in the psalm, but we can see that it starts out with David really struggling, maybe over the many enemies that he faces as king. Or maybe David in the psalm is struggling with certain sins that he can't continue, that he can't really break. And he's begging the Lord. Or maybe it's a combination of various factors. We're just not sure. But we can see this, that David struggles like us. We see his raw emotions. We see his grief, his inner suffering. We see signs of what we would call modern day depression. So the first thing I want to do is look up the characteristics of depression that we can gauge from Psalm 6. And characteristic number one is this, depression assumes God is vengeful. Characteristic number one is that depression assumes God is vengeful. Let's look back at verse one. Verse one, and it says this, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. David, it seems, is afraid that God is going to act, or better yet, react out of fury and wrath towards him as a child of God. This reminds me of an angry parent who is ready to pounce or correct their child out of frustration and anger. I know many of us have dealt with that, but that's what it sounds like David is thinking instead of a God who is full of grace and love and patience to his children. I wonder this morning, do we look at God like an angry parent who disciplines us out of wrath? Well, let's turn to Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, where we will see how God disciplines his children. Hebrews 12. 7 through 11 says this. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful. 
rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we see here that God will discipline us for our own benefit, our good, and help us grow in holiness, which means he's helping us grow to be more like Christ. Amen? The Hebrew writer does not mention that God punishes us out of anger or wrath because God's wrath was poured out on Christ already. He paid for the sin of his children. Christ took on the vengeance of God on our behalf. That is the good news. That's the gospel. That's what we should be excited about every morning when we wake up. Those that have followed Christ, who have trusted Christ in faith and repentance, will never face God's wrath again. That is what Christ faced on the cross for us. Do we see God disciplining us for our good, or do we see God trying to hurt us because he's angry with us? Characteristic number two of depression is that depression affects the whole person. Characteristic number two says that depression affects the whole person. Let's go back to our main text, Psalm 6, and we're going to look at verses 2 and 3 for this characteristic. Psalm 6, 2 and 3, and it says this, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? We see David struggling inwardly, but also outwardly. Depression affects our thinking. Depression affects our emotions. Depression clouds our judgment. It continues to affect not only our mental state, but physically as well. This can look like mild headaches and exhaustion to more severe physical issues like ulcers or heart problems. This leads to characteristic number three. Depression expects the worst of future events. Let me say that again. Characteristic number three. Depression expects the worst of future events. Let's look back at verse five of Psalm six here. And David says, among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? David here is possibly facing the fear of death because of all the enemies that he's facing. So this is a real legitimate fear, but often those that are depressed contemplate, focus, fret over future events. Worry and fear has a tight grip on their heart, and they see all of life through the lens of anxiety and dread. So they play out the what-if game. By thinking of the worst case scenarios. What if the car breaks down? What if the car runs out of gas? What if the plane crashes? What if the boat sinks? What if we're attacked by a shark? What if the house burns down? What if I faint when I'm preaching in front of everybody? And that was a real legitimate fear when I started doing this, right? So we sometimes all play this what-if game. But I wonder if we worry about situations, if we get worked up over worst-case scenarios instead of trusting God. Well, characteristic number four says this, depression brings about sleepless nights 
Characteristic number four says that depression brings about sleepless nights. Let's look at verse six in Psalm six. David says this. I am worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. We see here that David is exhausted and tired and yet he stays awake. He continues to think, go over, obsess, focus on what might happen to him. A depressed person focuses on situations that are chock full of frustration, anger, fear, worry, and hurt. It leads to further pain, suffering, and sorrow. They complain that they can't shut off their minds or they have no control over their thinking when they lay down to go to bed. Let me ask you, when's the last time you had a good night's rest? Do you have a hard time shutting off your mind? Characteristic number five. Depression is driven by emotion. Characteristic number five says that depression is driven by emotion. We can read this psalm and recognize that David is often speaking out of emotions. They're erupting out of him. Look back at verse three, and then we'll move down to verse six. But verse three says this, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? And then let's jump down to verse six. And he says, I am worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. David here is overwhelmed. He's undone. He can't understand why God hasn't acted yet. His nights are filled with sorrow. His emotions are leading him. They're driving the train. Depression turns us upside down. Emotions are in control. They are guiding the individual. What they feel, what we feel, seems to be what is real. Are we led or controlled by our emotions? Do we make decisions from our feelings? Well, as we can see, from the above characteristics that depression it can be multifaceted. Those that struggle with depression have a cadre or a mix of the above characteristics as each form of depression brings about different issues and challenges. So the question is, how do we find help biblically if we struggle with depression? Let me say that again. How do we, find, how do we get find help biblically if we struggle with depression? Well, the first step is to look at depression correctly. We have to have the right diagnosis of depression in the first place. The world diagnoses depression as a biological issue, a chemical imbalance, a psychological disorder that the person will have to deal with probably for the most of their life. They'll have to cope with depression for good. We see this with many of the commercials that make depression a lifelong disorder. These commercials usually start out with someone looking outside. It's gray, dreary, and rainy. Then someone begins to say, are you sad? Have you lost your drive for life? Do you have a hard time getting out of bed? Do you wonder if other people notice how much you've changed? Well, there's hope. There's help. There's always a way to cope with your depression. 
And then we are told to take such and such pill. And then in these commercials, the sun begins to rise again. Families come out. And everyone starts fellowshipping and enjoying each other. And for some reason, there's always random kittens and puppies running around these commercials too. And the person is finally alive again. These commercials give the impression that depression itself is more like a disease that we are trying to contain than the problem that we can find true healing for. Which leads to point number one. Depression is a symptom of a much deeper problem. Let me say that again. Depression is a symptom of a much deeper problem. We could compare depression to weeds. Let me say that again. We could compare depression to weeds. Without dealing with the root of the weeds, the weed will continue to grow back. Or let me say this a little differently. By saying depression is a red flag that tells us something isn't right internally. It's like the engine light that comes on the dashboard of the car to alert us that something is wrong under the hood. Many of us just ignore that little red light and continue to drive in hopes that there is really nothing wrong. Until one day... We are in a rush, we're trying to get the kids ready, and then the car dies on us because we've ignored a serious problem under the hood. I'm afraid many of us do the same thing with depression. We must examine ourselves in light of God's word and pay careful attention to what is going on in our thought life. Because what we are thinking leads to how we will feel, and how we're thinking and feeling leads to how we live our life, it becomes our lifestyle. So some of you may be thinking, if depression isn't the main source of the problem, then what is? What's the main source? What are some of the causes of depression? I'm really glad you asked that question because that's exactly where I was going next. So let's examine some of the causes, the roots, which mature into what we call depression. Let's look at cause number one of depression, which is sin. Cause number one of depression is sin. I know we live in a day when sin is out of date. It's old-fashioned. We have churches that act just like the world. So to them, sin isn't a problem either. And because many churches have stopped preaching against the sinfulness of man, most Christians live like sin isn't a problem to them in their daily life either. So many professing Christians do not have clarity of their own sinfulness. Nor do they see the seriousness of the indwelling sin that they still have to deal with on a daily basis. So the question is, what is sin? What is a good explanation of sin? If I came up to you and asked you what sin was, what would you tell me? Well, the children's catechism that we go through with our children, I know when I say the word catechism, let me explain. I'm not talking about Catholic teachings because that's not the children's catechisms I'm talking about. But actually, the word catechism literally means question and answer. And this is something all the early Christians used to do with their children. And there are Christian catechisms that we use with our children to teach them the basics of Christianity. So we ask our children a biblical question, and then they give us a biblical response 
And as I've been going through the catechisms with my children, there's just this phenomenal explanation of sin that I think we all need to hear. So I'm going to share it with you this morning. So I'll ask my children, what is sin? And the answer the children's catechism gives, which is on the board, it'll be on the board here in a minute, says this. Any thought, word, or deed that breaks God's law by omission or commission. The sin of omission means not being or doing what God requires. And the sin of commission is doing what God forbids. Let me say that again. The answer for sin in the children's catechism is this. Any thought, word, or deed that breaks God's law by omission or commission. The sin of omission means not being or doing what God requires. And the sin of commission is doing what God forbids. So that means we sin much more than we think we do. Because this biblical explanation reveals that I am sinning when I don't love my wife perfectly. I am sinning when I say a harsh word to my children. I am sinning when I have a wrong thought. I am sinning when I don't pray about all things. I am sinning when I let fear, worry, and anger guide me. I am sinning if I tell a white lie. I am sinning when I don't put others above myself. I am sinning when I am entertained by evil. I am sinning when I assume the worst of others. I am sinning when I gossip about people to other people. I am sinning when I don't live every situation for God's glory. I hope we understand we sin a lot and you can see on a good day, we still do a lot of sinning. So we need God's grace that continues to cover over our sin. When we don't confess the sin in our life, it's comparable to a room that is never cleaned up. Dirty clothes pile up, shoes everywhere, to the point we can't see the floor any longer. It becomes overwhelming to the point we aren't sure where to start cleaning. I don't think anybody probably has ever been in that situation. You have teenagers. But similarly, we let sin pile up on top of each other and we have become overwhelmed and confused. We don't understand why we're struggling, why we feel so bad. We become deceived by the sin that we're practicing. We become depressed as we are pulled and convicted by the Holy Spirit and yet continue to give ourselves over to our sinful ways. It is a miserable place to be, to be a lukewarm, weak Christian that lives life this way. How many of us have one foot in the world and one foot walking with the Lord? Well, cause number two of depression. Cause number two of depression is listening to the heart. Cause number two of depression is listening to the heart. I know this surprised a lot of people because we think we're supposed to follow hearts, but the Bible clearly says otherwise. Let's look at Mark 7, 21. Open your Bibles to Mark 7, 21. Mark 7, 21. This is Jesus speaking, and I'm only going to read the first half of this verse. But it says this, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. 
what is the first thing Jesus says comes out of the heart? Evil thoughts. Many say the devil gives us bad thoughts, but we see from Scripture in different places that Jesus says it's our own hearts. we got to stop blaming the devil for, th for things that we're doing. We often listen to ourselves talk. We have this voice in our head that comes from our heart, and our heart talks to us, and we just sit there and listen. We often give our heart free reign, listen to it as if it is our counselor. We listen to it without question, questioning it or any of the thoughts that it's giving us, and we don't challenge it or tell it anything. An example of listening to the heart is found in the person who is always the victim. We probably know a person like this. Their heart tells them that it's not their fault. Others are always to blame. And they believe what their heart tells them. They're truly deceived by the sin that they're living in. They become like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh who, has to, who says this. Oh brother, nobody cares about me. The victim's self-focused, self-centered, self-oriented person. It's always about how others aren't doing enough for them. Or how everyone, how everyone has hurt them. How everything bad is happening in their life and how they're offended by every situation that they're in. When we follow our heart, we end up believing these lies, which cause us to feel isolated and hopeless, which leads to what we call depression. Are we listening to our heart this morning? Or are we speaking truth to it through God's word? Cause number three of depression. Physical issues. Cause number three of depression is physical issues. We can become depressed by physical issues going on in the body. Maybe it is a lack of a vitamin, a thyroid issue, a lack of sleep, or stress. We don't want to call things sin that aren't sin either. These can all bring about forms of depression. It's important to get a physical when we see severe mood swings going on in ourselves to make sure everything is all right under the hood. Cause number four of depression. Chemically induced issues. Cause number four of depression is chemically induced issues. In high school, I would describe myself as a pretty happy-go-lucky teenager. I had a passion, a zeal for life. But in my sophomore year, I noticed severe mood changes. I was often sad, numb, and had lost my passion for life. I started examining what had changed in the last few months and realized I've been taking a new medication that had side effects that could bring about forms of depression. Medications and other new chemicals that we ingest can affect us emotionally and physically as well. And of course, there could be a combination of the above to cause what we know as depression. So the next question is, what should we do if we're struggling with depression? What should we do if we're struggling with depression? Well, let's look back. Let's turn back to Psalm 6. Psalm 6 to get some counsel from David on how to deal with our depression. And we're going to start by reading the first four verses, verses 1 through 4. And David says this, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. This leads to help number one. 
which says this, to remember that God is at the center of our suffering. Help number one says to remember that God is at the center of our suffering. David in verse verses one through four, five, four here says he calls out to the Lord five times. He begs, he pleads, and cries out to the Lord. He focused his attention, his energy on the Lord. God was in the middle of David's trouble and struggle. This is significant because depression turns us inward. We become self-focused, self-oriented, isolated. We aren't sure if God's there anymore. We feel like often that God has abandoned us. The truth of the matter is that God is present in our storms. He is working in the midst of our suffering. Amen? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. You can just jot that down. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is active. God is working in our sorrow and in our pain. This leads to help number two. Hold on to God's love. Help number two tells us to hold on to God's love. Let's look back at verse four. And this is David. And he says, turning, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. What does David appeal here to? What does David remember in the midst of his suffering? God's unfailing, and I think the ESV says, his steadfast love. He remembers who God is. He remembers God's character. When we are struggling with depression, do we focus on God's love? Or do we assume God has forgotten about us or has abandoned us? John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Again, God's love is the motivation behind Christ's death for his children. But I must say, turning to God's love is not easy when we are depressed because our emotions naturally cause us to doubt and question God's love. Because of how we're feeling, what we're, our feeling causes us to think certain things. And because of that and the things that are going on in our lives... That means we often have to walk against our feelings and our emotions and strive, fight, battle to meditate on God's love anyway. This can be done in various ways. It can be done by studying God's love in Scripture. We can also memorize God's word that speaks of his eternal love. We can also call out to God to help us to love him more in the midst of the storms that we're struggling with. This leads to the, the final help. Help number three. Trust God in the storm. Trust God in the storm. David, let's go down to verse nine, where David says, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. David knew God was there. David knew 
that God loved him. And verse 9 reveals that David had a firm, unmovable, unshakable confidence in the trusting the Lord. Are we trusting God in the trials that we're facing this morning like David? Well, finally, let's turn to Romans 15, 13. Open your Bibles to Romans 15, 13. This is one of the best verses on hope that we have in the Bible. And it says this. This is Paul the Apostle talking to the church at Rome. And he says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says to antidote, for depression is trusting in God. This leads to the Holy Spirit overflowing us with hope. Let me read it again so you see that. May God, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. He's doing a work in our heart. That's how we overflow in hope, it says. And it says he takes our hopelessness and supplies, fills, overflows us with even more hope. We also see in Romans 15, 13, that we trust God. And what does he give us in return? Joy and peace. Joy and peace. God renews us. He refreshes us and changes our sadness into joy, our anxiety into peace. Are we growing in hope this morning? Are we growing in joy this morning? Are we growing in peace this morning? These are the fruits of the Spirit. This is what we grow in as Christians. Are we having more hope as we move closer to Christ? Well, in conclusion, there is hope. There is joy. There is peace. And we find it solely on Christ Jesus alone. That's it. Christ Jesus alone. He meets us at our darkest hour. He works when our world is flips upside down. He is working for the Father's glory and our good. We can have confidence in God. If you're struggling with depression, Pastor Casey or myself would love to spend time with you and guide you through the word of God to give you help and hope. But I must say this as well. We have a pretty awesome community of believers right here in your midst that would love to minister the word to you as well. Amen? In the joys and the trials and the highs and the lows, may we be a church that lives for God's glory and, God's glory and his glory alone rooted in scripture. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for your unfathomable grace, your word that gives us so many truths to help us see you clear, to help with our issues of life, Father, and to also let us see ourselves better, Father. We thank you that your word is a sort of the spirit that convicts us of our sin to help us walk in holiness with you. Thank you for your son who died for us and saved us from the wrath of God. We ask, Father, that you help us to stand firm in a world that is following the darkness. Help us to stand firm on Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
you'd like to talk to one of the pastors, they'll be in the back, or um, someone from our prayer team will be up front here. They'd love to meet with you after the service and pray with you. Let's sing this together.